0: On this episode of the podcast, we are joined by the amazing Hazen Adel. Hazen um, is in the seventh season of his show on National Geographic Primal Survivor. He is a uh, biologist. He's been a university professor, um, a high school teacher. He is a Swiss Army knife of survival. What a
1: sick episode, oh, dude, right, fellas? Such a cool guy, man. I feel so, I feel like I need to be a better person after having sat through listening to him talk.
0: He had such an interesting perspective on so many different things, but my favorite portion of the podcast episode um, actually is, a, is a, it's the, private, it's the private part. It was the first part of the episode that we're giving only to our Patreon uh, family. If you oh, go yeah, to patreon.com right. <laughs> slash live at the lodge, yeah. um, he, uh, he, he spoke a lot about the difference between um, these indigenous people that he's lived with for, for many months at a time. Um, and Western culture, and simulating with both, attempting to try and uh, be in both worlds at the same time, which was super interesting to to hear. Um, what did you guys like? I, I don't know, Jules. What What did you pull from the podcast that you felt really inspired by? I'm sure there was m- m-
1: numerous things. Yeah, man. He's just such a he's just such a good person that's trying to live operate his life from this like place of sustainability that, it, that I don't, you know, it, it makes me almost feel like ashamed of myself for being like, uh, aspiring actor in New York. Cause I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And, and I shouldn't, I don't need to feel that way at all. It's like, I, I think I'm a good human being at the same time, but man, he sure does, you know, put on so many different hats and, and do so many things with his, with his life that, that just makes me feel, inadequate almost I feel almost insecure and I but I but I also like feel really inspired to learn something from him I genuinely will go stay the night at his house and learn stuff yeah man I I
0: hope we get to do a little little nature walk I thought it was super interesting when he talked about depression about this rampant um the other pandemic currently happening in western culture which is not just uh the coronavirus but mental illness and depression And he spoke about how self, self-centered that actually is, yeah. and how when he goes out into these remote parts of the world, and, and the remote parts of the globe, there there is none of this in these villages because people are so present about mm-hmm. is now good, is today good? Are we? Do we have enough food? Do we have shelter? Like bringing livelihood back down to the basics, I thought was was super cool. Um, Steve, what would you pull from it? What, what, what was your favorite parts of the, the show to kind of highlight what, what the listeners are going to be able to, to hear during this podcast?
2: Well, I think you both just touched on the most potent parts of his basic uh, living in two different worlds and finding his best way to navigate his spirit and his mindfulness to curate both environments to the benefit of himself but greater his total environment be it the big cities in the in the western culture or be it just going up river two miles and bringing a family some coffee mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just some beautiful stuff just a, a inspiring way to live and i like that he wasn't very he, he he didn't put you down in any sort of way he just was like this is how this is a way to live your life be introspective respect and kind of like self and self-grow self-sustain and i think that's just a beautiful message across the board and as a crew guy i really like that he shouted out how hard it is to trudge through the mud with 60 pound cameras imagine? and generators and it's like you see the shine on this one guy but his whole focus was on like the trench foot that his crew had working so hard oh, just yes. to get that message out so, so yeah. poignant yeah that a, was a such ultra, an interesting part humble.
0: of part of the show um hauling in generators so they could charge batteries. And what we see, right? It happens all the time in show business. It's like Alan Stone's on stage, like dancing around like a little fairy. (laughs) And you don't see the 12 hours of work that the crew put in to like set the stage up perfectly and all the lights and all you get to see is like the birthday cake with the icing and the and the <laughs> and the flowers in place but mm-hmm. uh in reality there's so much work and intention that that goes behind all these productions and man w- what a what an inspiring dude man Super. i think we we should do our own little prime prime al survivor where we all go <laughs> You guys take me out into the woods, and we... Well, uh, we can't take you anywhere. Yeah, I mean, Come on, we, Mike. What are we going to do? We're we'll going to go out there, out, and dude, we're going to be like, man, my woods. toes are cold. Plenty I gotta, of woods.
1: Do we have I've any more socks? There's plenty of woods night. around
0: here. Um, we are <laughs> so stoked about this episode. Um, we're, we're excited for y'all to listen. Make sure you head on over to patreon.com slash live at the lodge if you want to see some exclusive parts of this interview. This is Hazen Adele. How Goods Is. What up, what up, what up? This is the How Goods mm. This podcast. I'm Alan Stone. I'm here with J.P. Gavs and Stephen J. Libby. Our guest oh, today, yeah. whew, we got a good one for you. This is our, good, our new buddy, our new best bud, Mr. Hazen Adel. Hazen is a um, Swiss army knife of life. This <laughs> man uh, can do things that uh, we have through time and through the softening of the uh, American way, completely forgot. I, I, <laughs> I've seen you, uh, we, we've we uh, dissect, not dissected, we have uh, digested a good amount of your TV show on National Geographic called Primal Survivor. Thank you so much for being in here with us today,
3: man. Well, thank you. It is awesome. And it's just in the last few days of us knowing each other, it's... Uh, it's exciting. We're going to be hanging out lots more. Yeah, man. I think so, too. Really stoked. Where do I... There's like. There's, if you want to look, look
0: directly at our fans on YouTube, you can look into that camera and say hi. <laughs> yeah, baby. There you go. How's it? <laughs> um, I want to uh, touch on some... We were talking earlier uh, for some exclusive stuff for our Patreon, patreon.com slash live at the lodge. And you were talking about um, these... The, the assets that indigenous people have at their disposal, right? They go out into the forest and they look at a tree and a plant and the ground and they see, um, you used a really cool term, they see a pharmacy, right? Like mm-hmm. all of their, uh, the nutrients for their food and for their medicines are all right there in front of them. Yeah. And um, I've always, I've been playing around with this quite a while because me and my me and my wife watched most of the seasons of Alone. I don't know if you've watched this yeah. show.
3: Some of my friends are on it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I love it. I'd, mm-hmm. Like, it's amazing, but I, I would turn to Taz up most of the time, and I'd go, it's funny how these folk can go out and survive with nothing, barely anything outside mm-hmm. for months at a time. Yeah. And yet, if you're in the city, and you have a friend that goes missing for like two days uh-huh. and is outside... <laughs> not in shelter for more right. than two days we call the police like 911 we're so disconnected from our ability to survive in the elements mm-hmm. that um, that that's super interesting for me I don't think about it enough but you are like a trained um, you trained as a biologist originally correct or, or what's yeah. your background in education
3: well I I'm the first person in my in my lineage to go to college really oh, awesome. Uh, I had an older sister that went to, to school with me, so that generation and uh, I just had a real unique passion for nature. So it was gonna. Fortunately, my mom said you gotta you gotta go to get a biology degree or mm. be a biologist of, of some kind. And you know, I I grew up in the in a neighborhood where you, you could go with or without school. But yeah. it was thanks. Thankfully, my mom. She said, you know, stick with it. I went to Eastern here locally. Then I went to Western. Then I went to. Yeah, I went to go study biology, mm-hmm. and then, God, I went to University of Hawaii and all kinds of other things, so it became kind of a big part of my life, but it was it was biology, but it was my love for nature is kind of what I always had. Like, yeah. when I was a little kid, I just, like, I was just fascinated and fixated on catching bugs.
0: And <laughs> so you went to college for a few years to study biology, but then you you've spent many like a ton of time out just living with indigenous people out in yeah. different regions of the world. Mm-hmm. Your education in traditional Western universities versus if you were to put them both on like some sort mm-hmm. of measuring scale, how much more education did you receive just like hands on the ground learning from indigenous people?
3: Well, I'm, I'm definitely, a, and, and I was, I would have, cause I've always hated school. And then I was actually a teacher. The terminology is kinesthetic learner. Okay. Like feeler doer kind of go. But um, yeah, so I went to Eastern. When I graduated from high school, I went to Eastern thinking, oh, I'm going to get my my biology degree. And there I'm going to take classes and I'm going to learn all about trees and plants and bugs and snakes. It's going to be totally awesome. But that's not what you learn in school. Like Mm -hmm. if you take biology, Mm -hmm. you learn about petri dishes and the Krebs cycle And horrifically boring things like that. (laughs) And uh, so I actually went to like two quarters. I don't know. I went to school for like six months or less at Eastern. Again, going like, I don't. This is not what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. And uh, am I really like looking at the projection of how long I'm going to be spending in school? Is this really where I want to go? So I did drop out of school. Mm Mm-hmm. And because I just, I had a vision for myself. Like, I want to go live in the jungle and discover new species, like new species of tropical fish and catch snakes. That's what I want to do for a job. Mm. And uh, and learning about all that, like, organic chemistry and stuff in school, I was like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to, like, really see if the jungle is what I've been dreaming about my whole entire life. Is this, Is this really the path I want to go. And um, probably the biggest asset that I had on my side was I was really tremendously young and naive. Mm. And I thought, I'm going ha- to drop out of school and I'm going to go to the pinnacle of biodiversity, my dream place where I want to work. So I went to, to the Amazon and I went to Ecuador. And uh, at that time, I was mowing lawns door to door. had an electric lawnmower with a big long extension cord. And I'd just roll it down like blocks and and uh, yeah and uh, and i I had like a i remember the plane ticket was six hundred and eighty dollars, and I had a tea tea kettle full of cash I had about seventy dollars left over, and I went to ecuador and uh, I brought my camping equipment, I thought that I would uh go into the jungle and camp, and then when I ran out of money and food, I would have to come back and so I went to Ecuador. Uh, I had learned Spanish in high school, but I was a horrible student, like I said. But I always knew South America is going to be where I'm going to live, where I want to work. So mm. I went to Ecuador, couldn't speak Spanish very well. But with the best of the Spanish, I told the, I told the bus driver, I said, dude, I, okay, so get me out of this city, Quito, and I want to go to the jungle like, I had a snake book, and I was like, I want to go like this. I want to see this. And they're like, what? No. Nobody goes there. Nobody goes to, like, the jungle. I was yeah. like, no, that's where I want to go. Like, the end of the road. Like, how far can I go? And he's like, no. Okay. All right. Well, here you go. Hop on this bus. And I got on this bus for two days. You know, it was like a... At that time, it was like two-day bus ride. It was like $7 or something. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was like going down this bus and pretty soon more and more people started getting off the bus. And the only people that were there were just like native people that were going home. And you know, I was accompanied by like chickens and goats and like crops and stuff that were they were carrying with them. And those, those tickets are only $4 for a goat. <laughs> yeah. Well, and It was like, okay, so I'm doing this. And I was, I will say that I'm proud of myself now. Cause I was pretty brazen because I, I was shy, you know, and I was going into no man's or unknown territory. Everybody said I was going to go, you know, get accosted and robbed and raped and all that stuff. And uh, so I tried to just be Escondido when I'm going down there. And, uh, yeah, like after a day of going in the bus and then we're finally getting into the jungle, like going on the backside of the Andes and going through these mountain passes and all you can see past the mountains is like green emerald forest, like the jungle, like the movies of the jungle. Yeah. And it was like, I started to see termite mounds in the trees, and I started to see toucans flying by. I was like, this is like the nature show. This yeah. is it. Get me off this bus. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I, I actually, I, I can remember being in the back of the bus. I rolled down the window so nobody could tell, and I climbed up out of the bus as I was going down the road. Come on. And then I went up on top of the rack where there was like, big gunny sacks full of crops and stuff like that and everybody's luggage and I just hung out on top and then the whole day I'm just going through the jungle dodging branches and stuff and just soaking it up going yeah I can't wait to get off this bus because this is this is what I've studied my whole life to be because <sighs> I was like a nerdy kid always reading like aquarium books and snake books and and stuff and so yeah it was kind of a funny story once we started to get into the lowlands of the tropics and it went from like, 10,000 feet Quito where it's a totally different environment cold. And then we're getting down into the lowlands in the jungle. And, uh, the very, one of the first things is I was looking out and down the road, down this big, long gravel road, bumpy road. There was a big snake, a huge snake. And I was like, shit, that's like a fucking giant snake. Like, I don't know if I can. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, well and I do. pounded on the roof. Nobody knew I was up on top. And, uh, the guy like slammed on the brakes didn 't know and I flew off the top of the bus and onto the hood of the bus and then bounced off and then went to go run after the snake and i'd never like i 've always caught garter snakes and stuff and maybe a rattlesnake and stuff, but never a huge snake and there was this big snake and i I just instinctively like acted before I thought and then caught this big snake, and I knew exactly what it was it was a rainbow boa, like like one of the like, some people have a poster of Johnny Depp on that's their, a big on their wall. And it was like, I got a rubber boa. This is like a bucket list thing right here. Like, wow, I cannot wow. believe and it it's still alive. And so I brought it in. I was so excited. I brought it, in, brought it into the bus, and uh, they're like, whoa! Like, everybody that's in there, like, they don't like snakes because snakes yeah. kill people over there. And how, and, old, uh, how old were you at this time? I was 19. Wow. And, uh, and it was like, this farmer brought me this box full of, like, yeah, rainbow boa. Cool. Yeah they're they're totally right. You see, see oh yeah, yeah, see see, see, oh, see nice, how red? That one see how that one is like has this iridescence on it. It was just like that in real life, you know. Wow. And like was, that why does it turn that color? Is it just, just the, the lighting or It's just it... the, um, this amazing color that it after it sheds its skin, it has this this uh yeah, that's so and you yeah, knew you exactly could and you knew exactly I knew exactly. I knew the, I I was how? such a nerd. I knew the Latin name. I knew everything you about had, it.
1: So you had dropped out of college at 19 and you had studied this stuff enough to know Yeah. If you were to pick up a boa constrictor this big or a rainbow boa, you were going to be okay.
3: Well, I got bit to shit. Yeah. On that, I was all bloody and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Like, this this, is. Because I'd never caught a big snake like that before. But yeah, I I studied it on my own when I was just a nerdy kid. And then, uh, yeah, I brought it in and I had a bloody hand and they were all freaked out. But this guy gave me a box and I put it in there. And then uh, they saw that there was a weird kid up on the roof but I went back up on top and it was seriously like a few more once I knew there was stuff on the road I was like checking out the road and the next animal that was only a few more miles down the road there was a spider that was so big I could see it way up the road I knew it was a spider yeah and I did the the same thing like pounded on the roof jumped off the bus caught a spider I've never caught a tarantula I've only seen him in like pet stores and pictures and uh, caught it with my shirt and then brought it in, and then again freaked out people, and then uh, but then people were like, "What is this weirdo child white kid doing?" It's got
1: a zoo on this bus, by yeah. Now. Right. You're the only white guy out there. Yeah, you're the like, only person. And nobody you're acting goes like on like a goddamn fool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so like, what's happening? Are people like talking to you, or they were all ex- freaked dis- out? Like, what is going on?
3: From... But then they were like, the 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 asset that I had at that time was I was so young, and people are like, you know, I'm unintimidating, but then, mm-hmm it's way easier to make fun of it, this dumb child, you know? And so then so then, pretty soon, everybody's like, rather than being in the back of the bus, staying away from me and um, away from my animals, they're all up there, like, accompanying the bus driver, and they're all having the rest, the most fun time for the rest of the bus ride looking for animals that are on the side <laughs> of the road. So they were like, oh, looking out, and they're like, yeah, yeah. And, and even, like, stuff like roadkill and stuff, they'd pull over for me, and I'd, like, go poke it with a stick, like... I've never seen an armadillo roadkill, you know so it's, how much uh, of
1: this was just all based in adrenaline and not in any type of actual like w- merit. I think it
3: was just like there was a it's only kind of now
1: now that I'm like in my mid
3: forties that I realize how how unique maybe I looked at the world because i I was just like a social misfit when I was a kid like my like my parents they didn't go to i i lived in a pretty Fortunately, like in in a neighborhood where all the other kids were, their dads were doctors and lawyers sure. and stuff. My dad was a hot rod builder and a and a sign painter with a with a brush. And uh, but so I didn't really get like academia. I didn't get like reading class and math class. And mm-hmm. I never really got into sports. You know, I never really. Why are you spending Saturday watching the game? I don't get it. And, uh-huh. and uh, I never really realized why I never really fit in. And I always wanted to fit in, but I, I never really got it. And uh, I think my savior, well, it's just that what I wanted to talk about with people were like tarantulas and stuff. And you had access to the woods living out in this Not, not really. I mean, it was, I, I grew up on the south hill of Spokane. It's pretty suburbia, but I lived right across the street from Manitou Park. It's this big oh, cool. park that is, I mean, probably nationally recognized. If you ever, if you actually go in there, and it's a big, it's got all kinds of wild land in there. It's got a big, really awesome greenhouse. It's got uh, this pond where I could always go over there and go catch turtles and snails and go catch bass, even though you're not
1: meant to do that. But you're, you're a kid on your own doing whatever. Did you have any buddies doing any of this with you, or were you just always by yourself? There was this one kid named Andy Hathaway. And shout we, out shout out to andy it, Hath. yeah, Andy Hathaway! I don't know what he's doing. hopefully he's not in prison Let's invite him to our sleepover on it, friday that'd
3: be sweet <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but 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 yeah we, we used to uh we used to like go under the fence when everybody was playing like tackle football during recess and stuff, and we'd go try to catch praying mantises and stuff and and uh yeah, I just like liked all that sort of stuff and and then I was in the world of that when I was in Ecuador, and it was like. It all came true to me, and kind of that story. How I, So that gave me exposure to that. In high school, I started doing a lot of camping and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was, he always recognized, everybody around me knew that I, like, I loved like catching frogs. And so my dad would, as a way to bond with me, he would, we'd go out with a coffee, coffee can and go, he'd let me go out in the swamp. And I'd just go out and he'd like, we'd go to Chuela and go out. And there was this, this swamp. I just would fill my coffee can full of frogs, hopefully catch a snake, I catch whatever. And it's just like, I was fixated on it. And so my dad would take me out fishing, even though he didn't know anything about fishing. But like, what a it, it was just awesome. Like every he every August, he would take every August off and we'd go on a road trip. And he would go, Hazen, where where are we going? And I'd like get out my snake book and I'd, I'd look up the range of like a specific snake that I wanted to see. It was like, okay, a rosy boa. They live in Baja, California. Okay, here we go. And we'd go and then, and go fishing all along the way. And that's like, you know, my dad hates snakes. Like I said, he doesn't know anything about fishing, but he took me. Yeah. And that was kind of like, yeah, they fostered
1: my passion, even though they didn't know that's, anything about it, which was a, so a godsend, you know? Yeah. it's. It, I think it's It's probably safe to assume that you were never going to stay in Spokane or never going to stay in the Pacific Northwest and just stay settled. Because what's interesting in, in, in knowing Alan growing up in a small town like Chewela uh-huh. or somewhere yeah. in, you know, South Spokane or wherever, to have dreams that big rather than just, you know, knocking up your girlfriend in high school mm-hmm. and, you know, having a family is is pretty astonishing you yeah. know, to, to actually like, get out and like, go explore the world. and we, like, I think those like, small-town big dreamers are always really interesting to me because you made the most of that, and it didn't seem like there was mm-hmm. any way that you were going to do anything else besides get out when you did.
3: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's nice to be able to talk about it now and really think about it. Mm. And like I said, as I'm getting older and processing a lot of my youth, and I don't think that I ever looked at it as a big dream. Mm-hmm. Like, it yeah, was just... like, it was more like, I just, that's where I want to go. Curiosity for yeah, life. Yeah, like, like, like rubber, bo- or like rainbow boa constrictors do not live in Spokane. I have to go to the Amazon to go find a rainbow boa, and I'm going to find it one day. Yeah. And that was just, maybe it was a big dream, but it was just kind of like I knew that that's where I had, where I had to go. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, um, I went to Ecuador, and that's where I was able to, like, fulfill my, my passion again. But then the, the real cool thing that happened was that once I finally landed at that that end of the road, and I had my boxes full of, like, <laughs> loot, you know, I checked them out, and I had a camera, I was taking pictures of them and stuff, and, and uh, I, I could probably bring up some pictures from when i was 19 but and having all this like rainbow boa in front of me and stuff be on the internet uh maybe yeah maybe maybe instagram can you could look on my instagram um and uh but i went camping i just i found this one river and there was nobody around to bother me like rob me or anything mm-hmm. like that no weird rapist dudes you know yeah. so i just <clears throat> went and hid in the bushes basically and had the had the same, um,
1: there's so much, you know, you're, you, so much, uh, you know, you're, so pictures. you're really lucky, Hazen. You, my, my, uh, <laughs> my dad's actually from Ecuador as, as well. And, and he was born and raised in Quito. Wow. So I spent a lot of my childhood back and forth between here and there. Um, and, and we went to the Amazon jungle quite a few times growing up as well. Uh. Not for the same reasons as you just as kind of yeah. like a, let's go as a family and hang out and see this and explore my brother was actually uh mugged and like held at gunpoint and it was a pretty terrifying situation for him and his friend um so and you've never run into situations like that because when they I, when they warn you about that they're not just saying it to well, scare well i you.
3: mean i think it was good like my mom said when i was a when i told told them i broke the news like i'm going to ecuador i'm 19 you can't stop me mm-hmm. and I, and uh i was still living with my folks and you know my my folks are like, my mom's like, well, you're never coming back to live in this house ever again if you do. Just because she was so scared. Like, uh, they, yeah. they have never, they've never gone out of the country or anything, and I really had to make that decision, you know, because I was, I was fortunate that I did have such a great family, supportive family. And, um, but I went, and the thing is, is that, and yeah, you All you hear about is like, don't drink the water in Mexico. What could Ecuador be like, you know? Bad. Yeah. (laughs) But I I went and and brought all my camping equipment. I stayed there and tried to stick to myself. And yeah, I was scared about whatever people. But the, the real turning, that was an amazing time. But then another turning point in that experience was that I was there for about three weeks. And I had that $70. So I spent like... I had like a 20-pound bag of rice. I thought I could just eat rice. Like I said, I was dumb and naive. And I brought, a, I went fishing because I wanted to go fish for all the fish that were in my aquariums, like Oscars and Plecostomus and all kinds of crazy catfish. And I wanted to see those in real life and maybe eat them while I could. And so I was a crappy fisherman on the side of a river and, and having tons of rice. But then across the river were these little kids that were... Reeling in fish left and right, and like God, what are they using for bait? What are they? Oh my God, I think that's a peacock bass or something. You know, and learning from them. Yeah, just going it was like, I was like, questions. But I was too shy, and I didn't have, I didn't language have confidence barrier. to use any language skills. Uh-huh. But you know, being kind of a being a uh, installation there for about three weeks, you know, the there's only indigenous people there. There's no roads at that time. There's no nothing. So. You're kind of people that are walking down the trail or snooping around like, what's that? I've never seen a tent like that before. What's going on? And then I'd see the kids walking up the trail with a bucket or a basket full of fish. And I'd go, oh, whoa, look at those kinds of fish. And and uh, again, horrible language skills. But then as kids are, little kids, they don't care if you can speak English. They just wonder mm-hmm. about you and they they laugh at you and stuff. And then you become friends. But then those kids would tell their parents like yeah that weird white kid in the bushes he's just he's just fishing looks like and then they're like well you sh-. the one thing that happened is one of the families said told the kids tell him to come have dinner with us have and uh, and i went in there and had a meal and had never been exposed to like people that live in a in a grass shack you know mm-hmm. and you know palm leaf roof and they're up on this up on stilts and we were eating foods that were like, was like meat and fish from the river. And, uh, but it was like after that dinner and getting to know the kids even better and hanging out with their little hunting dogs and their kids and stuff. And they're like, they're like, there's a, there's a Hispanic term that's, that's, or a Latin term. And they say, mi casa es tu casa or Mikasa casa su it's like my house is your house mm-hmm. and um they they said well you know why don't you you should just rather than living in that tent that's rotting away you could go hang out with us hang out with our kids and stuff and uh it's like yeah okay i'll do it and uh and it was like you're living with a family that knows exactly about all the fish if you have a picture of a of a snake, they go, oh, yeah, I've seen that snake. They live down on the, in that swamp over there. Well, if you really want, we can go find it. And then I was with these people that has this tremendous amount of knowledge, and that I. And it, being at 19, you're such a, a deve- developmental stage in your life. You're so um, impressionable. And all of a sudden, being around these people that just invite a stranger into their house, and now you're family. Mm. And... Um, Having so much fun with kind of all of a sudden, these are my people mm-hmm. they're just as interested in nature as I always was, uh. and they are they get excited that I'm excited about their life you know, and uh like things that I was seeing was like I was remember I was with these little kids I'd hung out hang out with the kids mostly just because I didn't have my my language skills up, I hang out with them, and the kids would like be like taking leaves off a plant and then put them in their pocket and as we'd go and i'd be like so what what's that leaf for oh well my grandpa has the has this skin fungus right now and so we, we take the medicine back i was like what that's like a medicinal plant for your grandpa for his skin infections yeah yeah i was you like so you guys, you guys know all about these medicinal plants and they were like there's a group of three of them and they're like and i said well teach me i want to know like all about plants and seriously, it took him ten minutes to get ten feet away, and they talked nonstop about this plant and that plant and this plant. This is what my mom uses for when the pigs get sick. This is what grandpa uses when he has cataracts. Uh, I use this because I get this little this, these cuts on my feet, and it keeps and was like, "Wow, but you little and you know the names of them, and this is just the tip of the iceberg and and hanging out with them, they'd spend all day. I can remember we'd go on these big walks, hikes through the jungle to go look for one specific kind of tree. And being such a greenhorn at 19, all those trees look the same. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why don't you pick that tree? Why don't you pick that tree? No, we got to go get this. We got to get Wambulo. (laughs) I was like, what? And then we find this tree and it's just like this piddly tree. And they're like, this is the tree that we use to make a paddle out of because it floats, but it's really strong. It's rot resistant and it's easy to cut, you know, like all these things. I, I never thought of that. And then it was like every day we'd go on a mission through the jungle to find a kind of a post for the for the foundation of the house and we'd find these other kinds of posts for the rafters and we'd go get other leaves from the jungle to patch the roof and and then they'd have to go get something for glue and I was like this is when you talk about my education yeah that was when i was, that was i was living it yeah. yeah and knowing that there was no end to this knowledge and yeah, I, I I thought that I'd be there till I would till I ran out of rice, which I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna be there for like I don't know a month or two months, and I'll come mm-hmm. back. Well, I wound up being there for eight months. Come on, man,
1: that and, is amazing. And, and yeah, like so hanging
3: out with this, they're like my family still. You so know, good rice.
1: Those kids are having those kids. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: so and, so uh, they
1: didn't they didn't require you to have any other resources thereafter. Once your no, rice ran out, you were kind of helping taking yeah, care of. Yeah. What, what it
3: was like, what I was doing was um when I was talking about like getting Wambulo, that stick, that was a pole to be able to pull myself up and down this one river because they taught me how to, how to canoe in a dugout canoe to go up this river and help the family transport coffee that they were growing in a, like a finca or a field that they had way up river. I'd take that to the middleman to get processed, processed into coffee somewhere else. And so it was kind of like, yeah, I was just working with the family. Then I was working with the community doing stuff and, Knowing that I needed to pull my weight in somehow, but also knowing that this is a tremendous opportunity, mm. and yeah, I can remember when you talk about like how unsafe it is and how the fears that everybody had before I left, and I can remember going back, it was like Christmas time, and there was like a Christmas party, and all those all those kids that were always partying in high school that never invited me to their party they were having like a
1: christmas party and i went you know and i was excited and i i had stories to tell and stuff and they're like we've been working at the local fred meyers and hanging out it was like that bagging groceries you're like oh shit it was like this kid like having conversations with
3: kids that always made me feel so insecure and stuff and then like you are the same kid that was in like i felt like i had I'd learned so much. And that's all I wanted to talk about when I came home. Mm. And it was like so instrumental in my life. And then when I came back, the only reason why I had to come back was, well, to reassure my family that I'm safe. And then I went back to school so I could stay in school. So I went, like finished up a couple more quarters at Eastern. And then the day that summer got out, I already had a plane ticket booked to go back to Ecuador. Mm. And that just became my routine going back to my family Um, exploring more of Ecuador, finding opportunities to get deeper and deeper into more remote. Now I knew that, that there was these cultures that I am with are becoming more and more washed out because they're assimilating with societies and stuff. They're less tribal or, Mm -hmm. and the, the deeper I go, the more, the more wildlife, the more skills, the wilder it's going to get. And so I was just hell bent on this mission to get as deep as I possibly could go. And, and yeah, that was, just became my lifestyle. And uh, yeah. were,
0: you, were you able to communicate with your family in any capacity when you were over in the Amazon? Oh, there was, a, was it just all, just like we don't know where he is right now for eight months.
3: <laughs> it was a, it was like that. I mean, it was. <laughs> oh I mean, God, we're, God. We're, we're talking 1993, <laughs> 1992, 1990. Yeah. Might have been nineteen ninety two or nineteen ninety three. There's no cell phones. Yeah, and literally there was like a handful of telephones. In that country, right? To be able to that had the capabilities of ringing to the United States, Mm -hmm. and to do that was always such a ball ache, you know. Like, okay, it's two days in a dugout canoe, another day in a motorized canoe, and then two days in a bus, and then look around and see if the phone is even if they even have electricity left. You know, it's like Mm, you know so incredibly third world still then you know, and you know you'd make these these calls and spend. All of your money trying to make a, a 30 second call back then. Mm-hmm. And I'd write letters, and I can remember I had a camera and I found I'd go on these big quests to try to find somebody that could process my film and get these pictures. And then I'd, I can remember the photo quality was so shit that I did have a picture of like me holding a big rainbow boa and you know, yeah. it's showing off to my parents. And there was a photo blem on my face and it looked like I had this huge scar on my face. And so then they got this picture mm. and you know, they're like writing me that, like, when you go back home, we'll figure out a way to get plastic surgery on your face. But I never got those, those letters back. Of them, yeah. course, you know, they just like my poor family spent months worried about me. Uh, we were just worried sick. And I, and I, I feel bad about that, but that's the only way it could have ever happened back right. then. You know?
0: Right. So you, um, for for many years, you go out and you live in Ecuador. Um, did you explore outside of Ecuador? Were you constantly going back to the Amazon to try and learn from those indigenous people, or did you? Uh, I, I know we watched an episode where you were over on Primal Survivor in yeah. Papua New Guinea, and you went to the Arctic. Like those seem like completely different.
1: uh they, What's they, environments? Yeah, they, they
3: were different. I. I knew how good I had it in Ecuador because I had my people. And later on, I started to have a... So I could afford to go down there and afford school and contribute to my community. I started a guiding business down there. Oh, cool. Later on. Yeah, so then I started... I kind of found a way that I could speak English, I could bring in tourism, and I could take people on jungle trips. And then all the people that were raising me at the time, they were valuable as far as canoe drivers cooks additional guides and then it became kind of like this it just all started to work out like hey if you build a like a lodge or like a little jungle cabin we'll rent it out from you and then I kind of started this whole industry along this area and um so then and then again that just enabled me to have even more access to go deeper into the jungle there yeah I always wanted to go to places like all the other places like mm-hmm. Africa and stuff, but I could afford, I was still, I was still dirt poor, you know, yeah. cheap. I couldn't afford things and, and, uh, but that was a place that I had great access to. And then, uh, I did finally, eventually by the grace of God, I guess I, I, uh, graduated with a bachelor of science at uh, Western Washington university. Then, um, since I was, I knew that I wanted to do tropical biology it was it was another cool thing. Like I went and did like a little student exchange for like a quarter to Hawaii University of Hawaii because they do tropical biology. And then you know I started chatting it up with all the professors and stuff because you know I'm another new kid, but I know all these things about tropical biology and I've had these experiences. So then they're like, well, you should pursue graduate school. And then I got a scholarship at University of Hawaii because they wanted to be a, me to be a part of the program and that was awesome so then now I'm I'm in school but learning actually learning about the things I want to learn about and then that gave me the opportunity to travel to other places in the South Pacific the remote South Pacific cuz you're in the epicenter Hawaii mm. with all these like Polynesian cultures and there's all these Southeast Asian cultures so then I was traveling to South Pacific and then Indonesia and other places and I was getting out and then And then by the time I graduated, I had biology opportunities to work as a biologist in like Papua New Guinea and stuff like that. So I was was always looking for an opportunity to travel. But um, after I graduated from high school and did biology stuff, I knew that I'm probably going to be spending my life in academia and I don't want to be doing that. I want to go back home. But I still
1: want to have this travel component to my life. What, so, did you, what did you aspire to be doing at that point in your life like what, as, a, as a career occupation?
3: Well, I was looking at, you know, I always wanted to be a professor. But then, like when I was going to school at the University of Hawaii, I was with world authorities on what they know about. And, you know, you'd be invited to dinner and they'd be raising their, their kids in an apartment. You know, there's like no money in it. And then they get shipped off to University of Texas or something. Mm -hmm. And so I always visualize myself I I got a fortunately I had this tight family back home Mm -hmm. in Spokane. And I don't wanna be shipped off to all these different places that I don't wanna live. I don't wanna live work at the University of New York. I don't wanna work in Miami, Florida. I don't wanna and so then I kinda like had to be the master of my own destiny, I suppose. And so I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And so then I thought, okay, I'm going to go be a teacher in Spokane, have summers off, have my winters off. And then there was another part of me to pay the bills. I started a – I've always been an artist. So I had like a a metalworking sculpture business that was growing in Spokane. So I'd make enough projects and do enough sculptures to get enough money to go travel or afford school. And that was only growing. So I was like, okay, I'll live in Spokane. I'll be a teacher. And then when I was a teacher, which was awesome, every summer, yeah, I'd travel. I'd find some other new place to live. And then and then uh, the uh, I'd make videos for my kids, you know, like, I'll you know, check out this really cool, like, these people are using all of these butterfly cocoons to make, you know, Diapers for their babies, or whatever you know, whatever oh. it was, and the and the kids totally digged it. My students, and then they'd put them on on YouTube, and then they got really popular. And long story short, that's how National
1: Geographic found me. Really? No yeah. Way. YouTube bids It was kind of pretty much like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If you were my teacher in high school, you're a high school. You, you yeah, were I was a high, high school, school teacher. I may have learned something of value <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I was going. Cause, I think because you seem like you would be a rad teacher to have, man, with all the experiences you had. I still look back on those days and have tons of fun. Like oh, it was awesome. So what year? So you, you
0: you're making these little videos during the summer for your students? You taught at Ferris, is that yeah. what you said? Mm-hmm. Um, National Geographic somehow gets a hold of them. Says says wow this guy he's putting out some really quality stuff do you then do they employ you to do a pilot where they send you off somewhere and you make a full like episode do you how does that work for you in 2014 is this the first time you really this is the first season of primal
3: survivor god i don't know i don't know how long we've been doing this like six or seven years i think that's where i think that's what it said on tv but so what was happening is i was making these videos and then i connected with another guy that i went to to graduate school, and I again, all the, so many things happened in my life. Like I could count twenty different things that, if they would have went left or right, I wouldn't be here today. Right. right. And one of them is I met this guy named Rob Nelson, and he was just a, uh, he was just adamant about being a wildlife filmmaker, mm. and we connected. God. And uh, Rob Nelson, and he's got a little Patreon too, by the way, and uh, we we just decided that we're going to make nature shows. That's like we're going to do it let's make nature shows and they were so incredibly hammy like but just gorilla style and he was like way smarter than me he's definitely the brains of the operation and we were putting up on youtube too and we called our we called our business the wild classroom and uh, we were like incorporating extreme sports and catching mayflies at the same time you know like weird crazy corny <laughs> out, out in the world yeah just yeah. like whenever we could you know mm-hmm. we'd Hey, my parents live in Dallas and there's this sweet swamp. Come live with my parents and we'll go, like, do a couple videos on, like, you know, whatever in the swamp. Yeah. And we went and, 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 uh, yeah, he saved up money. We went down to Mexico. We, we kind of got a group of us friends that were kind of nerd people. We made these, like, documentaries. We thought we were, like, pretty hot shit, you know, but they yeah. were so <laughs> bad. But we were, like, traveling in Mexico, making this documentary and, but all that was just practice, you know? Mm-hmm. And then through those videos that got pretty popular, the Wild Classroom and stuff, we as a group were, were in like, invited to places like wildlife film festivals and stuff where we were rubbing shoulders with Discovery Channel, the BBC, National Geographic. And um, really, all those people that were involved with that, because they followed their heart with so much, as you know, show business... If you're not passionate, you just don't like you don't accept the word no" and you just yeah. fucking keep going yeah. all those people are are doing really amazing things in in film and documentary and science, and I'm totally proud of them and and without them, I wouldn't be here and so yeah, I owe people like Rob Nelson so much in my life, you know shout out to Rob so shout when out. you please please when, please do when that. you when you plan a
0: season, you're on your seventh season now. Mm-hmm. Of primal survivor, um, I would imagine at some point you'll get maybe not. I could be speaking out of turn here, but you'll get tapped out potentially on like places you can go that you haven't been. How do you, how do you put together a season? I'm thinking of. I have so many production uh, questions for you because I am like super heady on production. I've put this whole studio mm-hmm. together. Um, first and foremost, one question that I'm so interested in. How do you guys charge batteries out in the wild? Do you have (laughs) solar like panels that you display? Do you just bring and you
3: haul enough batteries in to like? Have you ever seen the documentary like Herzog documentaries where he like like happy people built a boat? No, like they like built a huge barge and then like carried it across the Amazon. You gotta watch it. It's like (laughs) it's like ridiculous. Okay, but um the so okay. We went off on a couple things. We can't get tapped out because there's there is still su- such a huge world out there. So much. That's amazing. I mean, I'll, from National Geographic's standpoint of making a film to them and most common people, they'll be like, all those people look the same. So we need diversity of looking people. Okay. But you gotta. People don't realize that fifty percent of the rest of the world doesn't know how they're gonna get their food for dinner. Right. So, they're all living in a different way. Yeah. Whether they're living in real poverty and living in a city like in India or wherever, and they really, they're in real dire straits. They, they, they don't have the resources to go find food. Right. Or grow food. Those people are struggling the most. Right. But indigenous people or traditional living people that have access to living with nature, you know, they grow their priority in life is to make sure that food is always there. So they have a garden. They protect their environment. So there's always going to be meat. There's always going to be nuts. There's always going to be something like that. And so 50% of the world lives like that. So Mm. in my opinion, that's a lot more diverse and a lot more interesting and has a lot more opportunities than making all these films about America. Oh, for sure. You know? For so, sure.
0: I guess I, my question maybe was, um, what's the approach to that? You go, okay, we did Papua New Guinea here. We're going to do an, an Antarctic mm-hmm. episode. Are you coming up with those locations yourself? Do you have a production team that you guys I, get together and figure I always,
3: that out? I always try to put in my two cents because I see or read or something, mm. places that are really cool. Mm. But in all honesty... Uh, the company that I work for right now icon films they're out of England um, and they they have an entire crew of researchers gotcha. that are that are just hitting it looking at talking to other scientists looking on maps going through the internet looking at old ancient documentaries doing all the legwork, to look at all these fascinating places. Uh, and I couldn't do as good a job as they could. Gotcha. So they're kind of
0: feeding you, this is where we're going, this is the season. And it's... I'm always game. I was and, like, and, hell and, yeah, I'll go. And uh, do sure. you, but the episodes that we watched, you're you're learning so much from the indigenous people in that specific area. Do you fly out early and like take a lesson? Yeah. Do you just
3: know this stuff prior? No, the, well, there is a, uh, so... If you watch Primal Survivor, you'll know that it's not just a show like there's other shows that are out there where the guy holds his own camera, mm. you know, and it's just him out there, mm. maybe, but that's the premise yeah um if you look at the show, it's obvious if you really look deep, like it's high quality, like it's got these beautiful panoramic shots, and it's got these night shots and night vision stuff and drone shots, and yeah that takes talent that I don't have. And so there is a film crew that's out there, but we're still, we're like frontier filmmakers. Like when you were saying, how do we charge batteries? Um, Like we did a, we did a film in the Darien Gap. The Darien Gap is in Panama. It's the only reason why we don't have a highway that links North America to South America is because of this one incredibly remote, incredibly wild place in Central America. Wow. for one, it was too rugged, too swampy, too mountainous to be able to make roads of mm. any kind. Mm. It's too you just couldn't do it. Then and too remote. And then um now that we may have the technology, we may have the World Bank investment doing it, then it just became uh overrun by like drug trafficking and guerrilla warfare mm. and stuff and just so blatantly unsafe that nobody could go there wow and um but because of all that it's this very wild unique beautiful place full of jaguars and stuff wow and um we wanted to make a film about the people that live there the indigenous people that live there the Umberas who we were with there's a handful of other traditional living people and uh yeah it's it's no man's land there nobody's ever filmed there but we wanted to and it's uh we had, again, hell-bent by, like, fury and passion and the desire to do the ridiculous. We went and we wanted to go film there. And our we were going to make a journey to actually walk across the Darien Gap. And uh, we did it as a film crew. Wow. So that means when you say, no, there's no solar panels... We had to carry generators like wow. like with gurneys like going through it
1: that's what I'm wondering who's, I'm like, we? Have... who's we who's we
3: so, no, how so the people? we the we went <clears throat> we have a film crew, so there's six people that are involved with kind of like following me around and I, and I have to give them so much so many props because oh, yeah. I'm <clears throat> taking care of myself, and that's kind of all, all I have to take care of, and a lot of times I'm carrying. A bone arrow. And I have so much more experience than everybody else too. So it's a little bit not quite as a foreign that world to me. Wow. But imagine uh, the the poor cameraman that's trying to follow me and I'm all over the place like a like <laughs> yeah. like a, a a wild beast or something, you know. I do whatever <laughs> I want. And yeah, uh, yeah. a rainbow boa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're carrying around a sixty-pound camera following me through the mud and up through the mountains and over logs and stuff and they can only see through their little like teddy bear butthole yeah. you know yeah. into the camera and go look at me <laughs> and uh so yeah and they're like by the end of the day they are wiped you Exhausting. know and then they got to wake up in the they got to wake up and perform again yeah i for me if i'm suffering and it's real suffering that for the channel that makes a good television <laughs> yeah, show yeah. you know yeah. and and uh but yeah, they, um, like on a place like that, we have to carry all of our own food. We have to carry generators. We have to carry all the cameras, all the equipment to be able to log the footage. It's quite a scenario. And so that'll be, we'll, we have six people. So a primary, primary cam, camera person, some of the best in the world, an assistant camera person that will also do, they work honestly 24-7. I mean, to get into this industry they have to work so hard. So they're the ones that are doing the night vision stuff. They're staying up all night and doing like time lapses of stars to make the show look as it does. Wow. They gotta be able to work the drone. They gotta log footage. I mean, they're nonstop and they're exhausted, but they I have so much respect for them. So then you've got those people. You've got a sound person that follows me around. You've got um you've got uh Like a producer that makes things happen. You've got an assistant producer that makes things happening on the ground. Like how can we make this shot work? What's that? And uh, so then those are those people. Then the other people that need to have shout outs are the people that are like helping us with carrying food and and making sure that the crew is taken care of. Because those people, honestly, on that shoot, the cameraman would work all day, follow me around. And then have to go and spend a few hours cleaning the camera making sure it's going to function the next day and then he's got to set up his tent he's got to set up his hammock and hopefully somebody's out there cooking food for him you know and they are like during that shoot we all got uh, such severe trench foot you know they have to I can go barefoot I can watch where I'm going I'm accustomed to it Right. I've been barefoot ever since I first went to Ecuador cuz I learned from the best and I've ensured that my feet work properly. And mm. you know, people don't have that luxury. So they've got to go and work boots. They've got to follow me around. It makes and not get bitten by poisonous snakes and all that stuff. But their boots are constantly wet mm. and they get severe things like uh like trench foot. Yeah. So trench foot is uh like on that shoot it was um You know, by that time, we're a week in, and uh, people physically couldn't walk, you know, like the the cameramen, the sound people, and so they're, to watch my people that I care so much about, and I have to carry out, you know, I'm living out in the wild, and that's how I like to live, because one reason is because... I get a chance to look at, I can, I can go out all night and go look for snakes and go fishing and do all that sort of stuff. But those guys have to get a good night's rest. And when you see them, there was dinner cooked for them somehow, which is like some meager camping dish of like spaghetti in a cup and that's all they get. And then they have to, I've seen people just literally crawling or, or they're so exhausted or in so much pain that they can't even eat. And then they have to go crawl into a hammock and then perform the next day. So this is, I, I really wish the show wasn't about me because these people oh my are God. incredible. But it is, it is the kind of things that, to get this kind of film and make it so real. I, was, I worked for Bear Grylls as his survival consultant on his shows, like Man vs. Wild. Yeah, And I was, this is before I got into show business. And um, I had never been to Ecuador and bit seen such nice hotels, oh, and great. i didn 't know all this, and it was like it was like, man, you have this show that the whole world is watching, and you 're so incredibly influential, but you don 't even give a shit you don 't care about the nature mm-hmm. you don 't know anything about it right. and you 're acting like this, and like uh, i 'm not as good of a performer i'm not i don't acqu- i don 't accrue the masses that Bear Grylls does, but I'm I'm just out there because this is what I actually honestly love to do. Like when you say, did they pick the right person for the job? It's not that I'm a great actor. It's like no one would love what I do more than me. No one would love suffering as much as me to get to the goal of seeing more nature and, and being with these indigenous people and doing what it takes to actually get the entire genuine experience that I'm after, regardless of if the television is on me or not you know it i mean it shows man
0: i don't yeah. i don't know if uh, Thank you obviously so we're we're our own worst critic but <laughs> me and julian watching through the first couple episodes <laughs> of primal survivor we're just like dude this guy you're 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 captivating you're so into what you're doing it shows it's not a facade It's man. not a facade there's no not to throw anybody under the bus but i just sincerely like think you in front of a camera is such a joy to watch when you're out there <laughs> teaching people these um, indigenous ways and teaching them how to survive off the land. Like, I was captivated, dude. It was, it was really yeah. good stuff. I, man. I, yeah. I'm i stoked to hear that. Yeah,
1: man. You're it's, not presenting in any, like, performative way whatsoever. As Thanks. far as we're concerned, it's it very off authentic, really genuine. and Thanks. super genuine.
0: Um, so I, w- I want to talk, maybe backtrack a little bit. So you, you start doing these videos for your high school students and you're bringing them back. They're putting them on YouTube. They're getting some... Um, they're getting some views, they're getting some attention. You start, at some point, you would have had to connect with Icon Films and they mm-hmm. would have been like, you know what, we think you would be great as the lead on one of these nature shows. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, there's Discovery, there's Discovery Planet, there's yeah, National Geographic, there's BBC, mm-hmm. there's like 15 different channels that are doing mm-hmm. these types of shows. Um, t- talk about that, like how did that connection happen between you and a production
3: mm-hmm. company based out of England? Another serendipitous, so much luck. Yeah. God, you gotta, you gotta position yourself the right place at the right time. Uh, A cool story. So, by the time I was affiliating and going to these wildlife film festivals and seeing like, wow, I'm, you know, maybe I can go set up an appointment with Discovery Channel or something. I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'm gonna be a nature show host. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be David Attenborough. Yeah. Mm. This is like my (laughs) dream. This is the, and just like, you know how everybody wants to be a drummer in a rock and roll band? Yeah, it's a terrible yeah. dream, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. But <laughs> they they can't. They don't have that opportunity. Yeah, You're like one of the few. Um, but uh, it was like, I'm going to be a nature show host. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That was when I was like, I, I saw. That was when I was like, I was starting to be a dreamer. Like, I'm going to do this. Mm. I see it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to get there. I visualize I'm going to manifest it. And uh, so I was like... Trying to talk to National Geographic and Discovery and the BBC and everybody, like I want to do a nature show. I want I really want to do a nature show. Can I do a nature show? I want to be David Attenborough. If you know David, if you don't know David Attenborough, please <laughs> learn. He like he's he's my hero. That is it. He they he's amazing. So um the unfortunate thing is that was I never went anywhere that way because it's not a genre. You don't see any nature shows anymore. That's hosted. Hmm. All that nature. People that know David Attenborough know his voice. They know his voice because he's the the man is like ninety five, I think, right now. But he was cool. People were watching his shows in the seventies and eighties. But then there's no more. There was Steve Irwin. You know, he was awesome. Jeff Corwin. But then after that, you don't see anybody talking, being spokesman for wildlife, and it's unfortunate. And the networks that are out there, all these television shows—I—I I don't know where they where they where they get their ideas. You know, they they're supposed to be the professionals. They say, "Well, this is what the American audience wants to see," mm. and nobody wants to see any nature shows. Mm. That's not what people want to watch anymore. I'm like, no, they need to be force-fed this and love it, like mm. I was. Mm. And this is what happens, and it will. You create your own, but they're all they're all like. They got no balls, none Mm. of them, you know? Mm. And uh, whether they're boys or girls, they're all like, they just don't have the gumption. They're just copying everybody else. And if nobody's doing a nature show host, hosted show, nature show that's hosted by somebody, they're just not going to do it. And so I tried and tried and tried and tried. It wasn't getting me anywhere. And kind of like losing hope. And then I started talking with this one production company, and the owner and his wife, they're really eccentric people, and uh, somehow they heard my stories about how much I've lived with indigenous people, how much I love it and stuff, and they, in this English accent and stuff, and they're asking me questions about it, and I said, yeah, I mean, the things that I see with indigenous people, I've never seen on TV, like, it would blow your mind. Mm. It's way better than anything I've ever seen on TV, but, you know, I've thought about this. There's no way of making a television show about it. Like, I don't know how you're going to do it, so I don't talk about it. Well, that just pissed them off, and they're like, oh, really? Uh, You don't? Okay. So, and I said, you know, if you really want to see it, the only way I can, you got to see me in my environment. You can't, like, do a demo tape or something of me, like, walking around in the park pretending to be me, like... I want you to show off these people that are amazing. Mm. You gotta be there and go there. And they're like, okay. And I said, Well, I'm 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 going back to Ecuador in April. I was just like it was just gonna be
1: like a ultimatum.
3: It was well, it wasn't even it's was like it was just like a flat statement. Yeah, like I knew it wasn't gonna go anywhere. It's like <clears throat> I'm going to Ecuador in April. And they're like, Oh really? Well, maybe we should come with you. I was like, Well, Damn, yeah, God. but I and they're like, yeah. Well, I mean, my daughter is working in an orphanage in Ecuador, and maybe I could just come visit you. I was like, okay, but still, it was kind of like such a pipe dream. Yeah, and the the man followed through. Harry Marshall, the owner of that company, followed through, and he went with his daughter, uh, grabbed her her daughter that was in Quito, and then uh, he took his his uh, youngest, most uh, go get kind of cameraman. And, uh, yeah, he was just like a a greenhorn cameraman too. The three of them went and accompanied me to Ecuador, met me there, and they just did like a demo tape. They like spent like five days of just me living with the people. Yeah. And I told them, like, whatever you do, you just have to keep the camera rolling. Like you can't plan what you're going to see. They don't work like that. But it's going to be amazing, whatever it is. I've lived with these people for years. Every freaking day, something blows my mind. And I could have never planned for it. Be ready. And um, they did. We stayed there for like five days. We made a demo tape. And we did um, the amazing things that would have happened when you're with those kind of people. And it was on film. And then they showed National Geographic Channel. And they were all over it. They funded a full-on episode. So us to go down with an actual film crew and do it the right way. We use tons of footage from that demo tape into our, into the, the film that actually materialized, <clears throat> and then uh, we wait and see how that goes, and then they're like, "Hey, okay, well, let's let's do a uh, a series." It's like, freaking sweet, man, That's home so run, right? Cool. And then, uh, and yeah here we are seven series later you know i've been able to go around the globe sometimes like three times a year and i would have i would have really never thought that i would have ever had access to africa you know going up to live with the inuit up in northern canada you know they have it has been the most special thing because i i get to have such amazing access with people that I am just absolutely fascinated by, and it's like, I feel like now I have this responsibility. Like, I have to share my love with nature. It's like, if there's a God out there, the Great Spirit, Allah, like whoever, whatever, I've been given a, a tremendous opportunity. Yeah, man. And I, I just want to uh, show off these amazing people
1: to the world. You know,
0: That's so, so cool, dude, man. man. Yeah.
1: You, you, you've been doing this for... Seven years now, and uh-huh. you 've had all of these really, really incredible experiences that m- most people in in the world wouldn 't get to otherwise and i 'm wondering what what's your work life balance coming back from something like that after experiencing all this adrenaline mm-hmm. and all of this like everything that you want in your in your world is happening for you, and then you come back home mm-hmm. how do you navigate that how do you manage like do you have a good work-life balance or Uh, or do you go crazy
3: it's it's a it's different i i know that like when i was 19 and i came back serious culture shock you know like going back and going like going into the store and just seeing big bright fluorescent lights with just aisles full of colors Mm -hmm. you know and like whoa that is crazy and i i hadn't worn shoes for like eight months you know and like it was just so insane and then I can remember I can remember coming back and spending some quality time with dad we're getting getting ready for Christmas and and we were we were like untangling Christmas tree lights at night and so like all you see are these like stringed lights at night I was like, I thought I was just tripping my balls off. Like, what? <laughs> in, I just came out of the jungle. Yeah, I haven't lived with sure. electricity <laughs> in like eight months. I forgot all about it. Like, It's just like so bizarre. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was definitely, I felt like, how do I live two different lives? Like, how do I live in the jungle, but then I come back to the United States and I can go skiing, I can go snowmobiling, I can go to the library, have access to all these things. Like, what is... What's right? What's the right way to live? Hmm. And then and then, as I came back more and more, a couple of years later, I was starting to kind of have a little bit more of a critical thinking mind about like, wow, it's so weird that we raise children this way. Why don't we live, raise children like they do in the tribe? How can marriages work in a Western society when, you know, like I was really kind of struggling with a lot of like, what really means What's the meaning of life? Mm-hmm. You know, like, do I make money? Do I go back? Because I'm, like I said, I'm an impressionable person. I can go and get really attracted to a sweet car or the the way the women look on the magazines. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen those kind of women in months, you know? Like, you go back and forth and like, we as humans, we're adaptable. So it's like, we think that that's right or we think that's wrong. And I was, I was really starting to question a lot of that lately. And then now, now that it's, now it's kind of like, um, I know that I crave, like, I crave wild. Like, I crave, I know that it's a strange thing. Like, I know that I'm wasting my time when I'm in the United States. <laughs> like, there's so much to learn about nature. Wow. And I need to learn about the people that are now they're they're like the last left you know generations and everything is changing so fast in those countries and you got to talk to the elders that know things and why do I want to learn all this stuff that might be obsolete or it might be you know who cares that foxes every 3 years go down this one particular valley and to get to that valley you got to make a 4-day trek through there and you only know this like who it's like this obscure information that will be lost in a generation. But why do I have to know that? I don't know. But I have but to. But you have to. And, um, but then I also realize, you know, I am an American. I have to take responsibility for being a member of society in this way that I'm accustomed to. And I do know that. But I guess I don't go through culture shock, but I crave, I know that I crave being with those kind of people. Like indigenous traditional living people, there's a certain soul that they have that I don't see in anywhere else but um when I'm in the i guess when i'm when I'm in the united states i I live this life and I'm present with it but um I also now that I've been in like relationships with i mean I think oftentimes when you're in a relationship with a girlfriend, you become so intimate and then you re- start to realize that there's a there's a part of your your life that no one will really understand. Mm, wow. I never really knew that. Mm-hmm. But um like now I'm so glad that I can make these films and people get to see like this travel log, mm. slideshow of my experience. But um I live in this life as a westerner in the best way I can and it's like I have to have a girlfriend that's really into nature and stuff but I can't go into the details of everything that I really learned about and in some ways I kind of feel it's this isn't a sad story but it's like I'm lonely mm-hmm. I feel you and and I uh I live in this other world that I don't ever want to forget I always want it mm. like right within reach and so yeah that's <clears throat> the reason why I crave travel cuz it's like I go back there and get my reality check cuz wow. I don't really I see that I'm like, the more times I spend here, I'm like, okay, I got to save up for that pretty sweet car. That's like totally awesome, and mm-hmm. and and oh, I got to keep up with the Joneses. Like I'm real easy to, at doing that, and you know, like we're a very sexualized culture, and like as Westerners are, and I'm like, I see that I get distracted by that, like beautiful women and everything. I don't even think we realize that we, it's like a paradigm shift that we need to be removed from that. Mm. But we're so incredibly distracted by something that works so well, like the selling of like sex and everything Mm -hmm. that we have. Everything. And when you live with like these other cultures that are so much more humble and they're not distracted by that, the relationships, whether it's just chumming with your pals or a romantic relationship or a relationship that you want to have kids with, it's like
1: so different. Totally, man. It's totally different. Can you explain?
3: Well, like, um, I don't know. Like I struggle with the expectations that we have of partners in the United States. Mm -hmm. Like we have, we're in a capitalist culture that we're in, we're kind of like all given respect when we're we're like the self-made man. Yeah. Or like we're independent. We if you're a woman and you have your independence and you've you've conquered this much and you have this much to say for yourself whether it's your education, your career, the kind of car you're driving, the way your body looks. Yeah. And for a man it's the same, exact same things. Right. And um and it's all about independence. It's like it's like we all have to be pretty self-absorbed and to succeed. And it's like what's admired in, in our society. Like so many of us had to leave home, you know, and we live in a society where it's like, if you're 40 years old and you're living with your parents, that's not, is that's, that's, that's not, it's really wrong. And yeah, I can look at that as like, a oh, freaking loser. You know, get off your ass and go do something or like, whatever it is. Mm. But why is that? Why do we say that? Because you can live in a tribe And if you're 40 years old, and you're living with your parents, and you're taking care of them, and they're taking care of you, and you have constant company all the time, and you have the sound of children playing with you all day long, what, why would you want to change that? Like, everybody's happy. Everybody, you have continual support nonstop. Whereas when we're in the United States, living such lives where we're, we have to go pursue our own dreams, our own things, it's lonely. It's lonely. Mm. And that's why we have such depression because it's all about us. And it, I always think that, like, I suffer from, I, I can only say this because I suffer from it. Like, I see, I, that's why I need to go get back to Ecuador and get my reality checks because uh, it's like, when you're depressed, I don't have the a real good way of, like, saying exactly, it sounds terrible, but... Depression is like you being self-absorbed about how you feel. Right, right, and it's inward. It's very. It's like, yeah. How come I'm not happy? How come I'm not? It's. it's and people can't help it because that's how we. That's how our society functions. Right. We are materialistic. We we well we're capitalists and that's how we are. But if you go into a tribe, their days for days on end are horrible sometimes but they don't have the luxury of just thinking about themselves. Right. They want to think about the welfare of their tribe. Wow. They want to make sure that their children are healthy and happy, that the grandpa is getting fed. And but they're always together. And you're always supported. And think of the difference between when I look at like Relationships, like if you're gonna raise, if you're gonna find a partner to have kids with, say for in, in a male-female relationship, like as a Westerner, you've got, you've got like, you you have to choose a partner that is like, uh, the same kind of diet that you have. Like, are they gonna be vegan? Are they gonna be into health food? Are they do they eat Alan shit all day? You know, or mm-hmm. like or like, you know, are they? Are they into sports? Do they like playing sports? Are they active or are they not active? What kind of... What, what are the expectations that they want in life? Are they fine living a humble life like in a really humble house or a trailer or yeah. or not even having a house, living in an apartment? Or are they going to have a big mansion? Are they going to be on a mansion on the lake? What career do they have? And then we have these careers that are taking us all over the country or the globe and... Somebody's a lawyer and then they get a job over in New York. Are you going to pick up and take your family over that way? Well, what about her? She might have this career where she's a doctor or she's just an artist loving, loving this niche that she's in or just or whatever, whatever job she has and they're all like, the world is pulling you in all these different directions mm. and we're always changing because we're like, we can go to the library and all of a sudden find a whole new look. I want to be a cowboy now sweet, honey, we're going to go, we're going to be a cowboy. And it's like, we change all the time. But in these other relationships, it's like, the expectation is to live happily and have healthy babies. Mm. And so, a lot of them are like, you're going to be a farmer, I'm going to be a farmer, and we're going to have healthy babies. That's it. That's how, like, that's how humans have evolved in a lot of ways. And so, it's like, um, it's a, uh, yeah. In the United States we can be whatever we wanna be, which is a wonderful thing. We can we can have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, they can have different kids that we can not have married, be married, whatever. But uh a lot of it is like we still have to go our own way and we're gonna get lonely and we have to give up a lot to have our independence. Go ahead. Alan. When
0: you go when you go to these tribes <clears throat> because it, it seems like and that's just a beautiful um reflection of your experience totally. in America and the West versus these indigenous tribes um, in America. It's, it's almost like we, we're never satisfied. Mm. It's like mm. we achieve the thing. I've this in my own life. Like when I was starting out as a musician, I was like, if I could just do, if I could just make, I remember one of my turn, one of my friends and I was like, if I could just make like 30 grand a year mm-hmm. playing music, and and getting to play shows and getting to play my original songs. Mm-hmm. I'd be satisfied. Yeah. And I surpassed that goal. Yeah. You know, in ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And then there was just a new goal. Right. And I achieved that goal. And then there was the new goal. And I achieved that goal. And I'm fifteen years into a career and I still am not satisfied mm-hmm. with like I'm happy and right. I enjoy what I do and I and I love getting to play music but there's also still this like it's not good enough because you mm-hmm. have this new goal and you can set your sights on this new thing um, this question kind of has two prongs with folk that you meet in uh, these indigenous tribes who seem to just be so happy like mm-hmm. when you see them on film they seem so joyful and, and content and maybe that's just the clips we're seeing but um is is that outlook on life that's like it's got to just the new goal, the new goal, the new goal? Is that mm-hmm. just absent, or or is it?
3: Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it is. Yeah, um, you know, I don't I don't think any of these cultures. I don't think it's right that we that we, you know none of them live in a museum, right? Like right, they like we're constantly evolving, we're constantly changing. It's just that the exposure to change is happening. So rapidly. Every day, every day, it's getting more change. More change happened today than yesterday. Yeah. Every day. Right, of course. Um And, yeah, there's no way that we... It's really difficult to find contentment as uh What I look at is, as capitalism. I'm not anti-capitalism or anything like that. It's just... It's the way it is. Without capital, the only way for capitalism to work is if there's growth. Right. Constant growth. But, and that's how we, it's so hard to get that out of our psyche. Like, I have to get better. I have to accrue. As I get older, I'm going to be wealthier. I'm going to get myself out of this situation. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. Mm. Well, that doesn't really allow us to live in the present and for a lot of indigenous people that aren't exposed to more and better and more expensive and all this growth things, you focus on the present. So everything is enough. You know, like I have worked it out to where I have this garden that's always going to be enough. And there's always going to be enough deer in the woods to hunt, there's always going to be enough fish. Because I'm not, I don't want any more than that. But now we want more. So capitalism is like, oh, if there's fish in the river, it's better to have 100 fish than a fish, because 199 of those fish I can sell. Right. And once you get 99 fish and you get that much money, oh, well, I'm going to buy a boat now and get 1,000 fish. Mm. And other, the way, human evolution has gone cuz capitalism is relatively it's a it's just a coat of paint compared to to the depth of human history mm, and evolution right. yeah this is brand new it hasn't worked itself out and it's obviously not sustainable if there's constant growth because with capitalism okay if there's if you have one oil palm that you can extract oil from well 10 oil palms are better than one because you can make more palm oil and make a profit of it. Now it's like, look at what's happening to the rainforest all throughout Southeast Asia. It's like palm oil. There's no more jungle right. because there's money that's palm oil is money. Where in, in a lot of indigenous people that are still left don't need money every day. What's cool about what
0: you do, as you're as you're talking about this, is you're almost like a beacon or a compass towards um, a, you know, capitalism. As you're talking about it, it's it's growth, but it's only growth in one direction. Right. It's just a financial growth. Mm-hmm. Whereas, in order seemingly for us to correct, we need to grow in our understanding of the entire ecosystem that we're living within and, mm-hmm. and what your show and what your life seems to teach people is growth in other areas, right? The growth that utilizing the natural world around you versus this specific product is better. Mm-hmm. And um, man, if we had more of that to balance out this one dimensional mm-hmm. growth, <clears throat> we might be, we might be in a little better shape than we are. We definitely yeah.
3: Would. I, I wish I, could sit here and tell you all the answers. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, I don't know how to change that. I understand that's the ugly side of it, and we're seeing obviously that's not sustainable. Right. It is not. It's not. But humans have been sustainable for Homo sapiens at least five hundred thousand years, and if you consider where we're at, being unsustainable, which is about probably the last three generations, four generations, and it's getting progressively worse. Our demise is we, we will. We're, we're killing ourselves. And something hugely dramatic has got to happen for a dramatic change. But I don't know what that's going to be. And I don't know how to change it. Do and you, I don't expect... Nobody can go backwards like that. You
0: know? Well, right. You can't go backwards um, historically. But you can, you can pull from the past to learn for the future. And have you been approached by... Um, developers in any capacity towards, I wanted to ask you this question. We randomly, this is crazy, ran into each other this morning at like 9 a.m. at a coffee shop. It's crazy. Um, how come How
3: come you were there? It was my was first
0: th- time. My wi- We live like just down the hill from there and my wife's like, you want to go out in the morning and get some coffee? Hell yeah. yeah. Um, first time we'd ever been to that coffee shop <laughs> and then uh
3: and sh- sure enough, you walked through the door. I-, I only met you because my cat pooped on my pillow this morning. <laughs> I was like, Oh god. What? Dude, <laughs> I'm getting ready, I'm getting rid of you. And then I like had to put the pillowcases and everything in the wash and then I was like, oh, God, I need a cup of coffee. Oh, so okay. yeah, serendipitous. Serendip oh. serendipitous. Seren- seren- <laughs>
0: um but you you said you, you've been and I I hope it's okay for me to say this, but you've been building the house. Yeah. And um, I was curious to know, like when you think of a house and like what you're going to build and how you're going to build it and what, like do you harken back to these experiences? You must harken yeah. back to these experiences with the indigenous people. You're yeah. like, I'm going to capture rainwater. I'm going to use solar panels. Like is that incorporated at
3: all? I know that stuff is... Sustainability is huge to me. Like yeah. I just see waste, yeah. you know, and I um, I hate plastic. Mm. Like God, and then, and I... I hate going into those stores that are just nothing but fluorescent lights and colors like that. Like I just, it doesn't, I feel guilty. And that's, and um, because all that stuff that's being made is pretty much like it has a lifespan, right? And everything does, but that's like, it's an engineered lifespan. Plastic is going to degrade, but nobody came up with a plan to get rid of the plastic shit that's going to be in your yard, in your ocean, and all that landfills, you know? So I hate that. Um Something that's tangible to me is our elders that are still left that lived on the farm. Yeah. You know? And they're like, nah, we never had that. You know, we, we didn't even have napkins. We had rags. And we're like, and the grandma sewed it. And there was like, everything kind of had more value. Right. And so... Um, I'm building a house. It was it was an old barn that was built in the 1890s, and uh, it was just because people don't value a lot of things. They don't see the work that went into it. They're gonna burn it down the next spring. And for for me, my dad builds hot rods. I and he, it was hot rods and cars. But you know he restored our house. I watched my dad restore things and make things better than how he found it. And kind of, like, gave me some insight to going, like, see how that beam was carved and they, how they did it is, like, you know how the last time you and I built our tree fort, son? It was, like, I had a great dad, you know, that showed awesome. me how to look at the world like that. And so I look at barns, and I, like, I look at the workmanship, and I look at the, the sweat that went into all that and stuff. And then and I'm in a society where people have no concept of that it's like they're just gonna burn it down Mm -hmm. and then they're gonna go build some shady pole building or something you know and it's just like an eyesore but back then people took pride in their work and their pride in labor because they were doing it and and like now now so many people just don't have they don't even understand like how hard it is to make some things but then they also i think they look at it as like work sucks that looks like a lot of work
1: you know <laughs> yeah. rather
3: than like work is really satisfying like it's really fun to work actually oh yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah you know and and i think a lot of people need to be to know that not just remind it like they need to be exposed to that like you all are makers and you can be makers and make it. but anyway, that was tangent um <laughs> it was an old barn i didn't want to get burned down I took it down stick for stick, took me a year to take it down. I put it back up as a barn. So I didn't cut down any trees in the process. I know where every single board came from. And then it started from there. And then um and then like again, it's the process. Like I love building a door and I want to learn how they how the old craftsmen, which to me are like well, you know, I always go back to s- these remote places in the world to look for the last craftsman, to yeah. look for the last medicine man, to look for the people that still know these things. Well, here in the United States, three generations ago, people knew how to make their own door. I want to be like that. I want to be like that old man or that woman, you know, that knows how to do stuff. Like my grandma would make these amazing doilies and crochet, and I'd be like, shit, I'll never have a girlfriend that knows how to make that, you know. <laughs> and yeah, man and uh so yeah it's just kind of like it's my own little world that i honestly it, it really is my own little world and maybe that's when i say i get lonely it's like that's how i communicate with myself that's how i spend time with myself is building my house because everything is handmade and like i either restored that light fixture or i built it myself and you know indigenous people are incredibly resourceful they have everything they need but it's like the more you know the less you need cuz they just make whatever they need. Yeah. You know, if they if they need a basket, you can't go to Wally World and go get a bucket. They got to go know how to make a basket or know how to make it waterproof and and then they live in a society where everybody knows how much how hard it is to make like a bucket or something or to make a basket. And so that's a commodity and that's a way you can express yourself as an artist. It's like you know, I'm the way I'm different is I'm an exquisite blowgun maker, or I'm an exquisite bow maker, or I'm an I'm an I'm incredible at doing that. And then, you know, people can express themselves in their crafts, like the the woman that builds these amazing baskets, or you know, shawls, or, you know, whatever it is. And it's, and it's like that's kind of like my own expression to myself is this house. And and then um, you can't do it all like that in the United States, but like with with if you have a house that's all made out of old wood, it's like the old bones are always talking to me. It's like I've kind of that's my take on on materialism is like yeah, that board doesn't talk to people, but I think it does, and it's and it's my relationship with that board and and then being self sufficient you know I realize that you know again edu- being educated and knowing the effects like I'm with indigenous people that don't have fish anymore and they were living off of fish because the the country up the road built a dam and dammed that river. That starved out all of these people. That that killed babies doing that, you know? And like I don't have immediate control but I can go like I don't want to I don't want to have a dam that hundreds of thousands of indigenous people that we don't even see or acknowledge today anymore. They're not with us anymore because we have dams and we have all these lights and stuff that pull from that dam. We don't think about that. We don't think about going down to Spokane river and seeing all you can see when the, when the salmon are migrating, all you can see is salmon. It's like if people actually saw that in their lifetime, they would never allow anything to go wrong with those salmon. But now it's, out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. But to me, it's still in my mind. Like I see the effects of what humans do. <clears throat> so I try to go on solar. I try to turn my porch lights off and just be low impact. And then, you know, with my food, I got to take care of my ground. You know, I, I have dirt on it. I have to go make sure that it's going to grow vegetables for me. And uh, I want, I know that just me taking up space doesn't allow a bird to live, you know. It sounds corny, but it's like I want to make sure that I'm not, like if I lay down a whole bunch of pavement, I got to make it up somehow because that used to be ground that was growing trees and allowing like insects to be there and birds and like I I know the impacts of humans. So Mm -hmm. I can at least do my best to live in a place where I wake up in the morning and I just cherish. It's like my television set in the morning, it's like, God, man, so many birds are visiting me this spring. Like, Mm -hmm. there's way more birds in this place than I, than before. And that, that shit turns me on. And I think if people, if people experience that, just a simple experience, they really would change their ways. But people don't have access
1: to that ability to view the world in that way. And it's not that hard. Yeah. Can I come split the difference between your house and Alan's house when I'm living out here in Spokane and just hang out with you, man? I want you guys
3: to, too. yeah. <laughs> Cuz I now.
1: feel like I have so much to learn from you, man, and I feel like so many, so many people do as well. Thanks. It's so, so cool, and you're just s- such a wealth of knowledge and resources and amazing insight, man. It's, it's really, really cool to hear you talk about this stuff. It's I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank thank you so much, Hazen, for joining us today and for sharing some of your experience and your knowledge and um, being kind to us lay people over here who haven't even camped together. We went on one camping trip this summer and we both got sick. (laughs) Um, we, we would have loved, we would have loved a few of your little, like, um, Pacific Northwest tinctures that we could have used, but we just, we just, we, we we use NyQuil. That was (laughs) was pretty much
1: it. I got a nice little offer for you too, man. If if uh, this if this pandemic doesn't clear up and we can't get out of the country, I am dual citizen of Ecuador, so we can become domestic partners, oh, dude, brother, and we it. can go over to Ecuador and and, and hang out. And I'm just like, trying. I'm just. I'll, this is just me try. trying to become your that's domestic the first, partner.
0: That's the first. marriage proposal we've yeah. ever had on the how Goods this podcast. Do it. And you should feel special because Julian's pretty particular. I'm pretty particular. i <laughs> um, never
1: swung this way, man. But you know who's used to say that it can't happen. Yeah, folks.
0: Uh, folks at home listening or wherever you're at um we've we've been uh so so overwhelmingly um, joyed to have Hayes and Audell in the studio and today. bales and, and bales. bales
1: hey bales give it up you're Hi, such a that's good my,
0: puppy that,
3: that's my my dog bales that's a good um
0: dog. thank you man uh blessings to your to your to the construction of your barn thanks and uh, we'll do a tour i can't wait i can't wait to 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 get to hang out with you again, dude. You're a legend. Thanks. We're going to be buds,
1: man. This is going to be awesome. No, is good. I can't wait to go out into the woods with you and just do stuff. (laughs) Right
3: on. (laughs) Finally got some people to hang with. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much. Folks at home,
0: thanks for listening. Yeah. Have a good one. See you. Bye-bye. Take care. Oh, boo-boo, did you just make it to the end of the video? Yes, you did. Do you want to see more videos
1: just like this one? Do you? Well, then head over to patreon.com slash liveatthelodge where you can support the How Goods This podcast as well as the entire Live at the Lodge family.
0: Yep, yeah, you're going to get exclusive merch, personalized shout-out videos. Me and Jules, we're going to show up at your house and baptize your nephew, huh? Check it out, patreon.com slash liveatthelodge.